0: it was clear that I just had a lot of anger really on my heart at the church, the way things were. And, you know, a lot of them were like my parents' age and older and they didn't need to give me the answer. They saw I was just seeking what the truth was. And I really believe, and this is something I I repeat in my book over and over that those who seek will find. And if we seek truth, we'll find truth. And if we seek to affirm our own
1: beliefs, we'll find that too. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Evangelical Podcast, where being labeled a heretic is a good thing, if it means refusing to conform to toxic, harmful expressions of faith. We address your questions about God, politics, how we got here, and how to move forward. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, spiritual seekers, and activists in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. We're your hosts, Melanie and Gary and this is Holy Heretics. Before we get started, we have something brand new that we wanted to tell you, our listeners, about first. For so many of us who really find ourselves questioning the faith we were given, the Bible really becomes a sticking point. Can we even trust it? Is it inerrant? If it's not, does that mean we should just totally throw it out? Should we even read it anymore? If so, how do we read it? And what about all the different translations? I mean, the questions can become overwhelming and really confusing. And so because of our own questions, we started digging and then decided to turn all our research into a live course that we're calling Making Sense of the Bible Post-Deconstruction, and we will be debuting it in July. Because we want this course to have time for questions and dialogue, we are only opening it up to our Patreon supporters, and it's on a first-come, first-served basis. So between now and June 30th, 2021, if you become a monthly Patreon patron, we will reserve your seat for the course. So head to our website, which is holyheretics.org, and click on the button that says support on Patreon, or head straight to patreon.com holyheretics to become a patron of any amount and reserve your spot before they're gone. Now let's get started. Today's guest is international best-selling author and host of the Roku TV show Soul Nutrition, Raina Rose. She shares with readers and audiences alike the various ways of nourishing the soul on her show, and then she also likes to dig deep into what truly satisfies the inner life by taking ancient wisdom and distilling it into practical tools that modern audiences can easily implement. Covering topics from stress management and meditation to prayer and personal awareness, Reina leads her audiences on a journey toward personal and spiritual fulfillment. Welcome, Reina. Thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. It's truly
0: an honor to be here. As I told you before the show, I really love what you two are doing here and just providing a platform for people to dig into what true spirituality means and really dig through and get rid of what it doesn't.
2: Thank you. We'll, we'll pay you for that later. That. <laughs> All right. So, Raina, your show is called Soul Nutrition, which uh, I think so many of us are looking for. And I think like post-COVID, we're actually needing some body nutrition as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, but I've put on a little bit weight of weight over the last several months. But can Definitely. you tell us just a little bit about your spiritual journey and how you feel you've been able to find soul nutrition along that path?
0: Sure. So, I mean, unlike many, I've actually been quite lucky to have grown up with the kind of pastor who tells me to question everything, who, Mm. you know, says, don't even believe what I say up here, because that's even changed from decade to decade, his, you know, opinions. And he'll tell me, Mm. go look it up for yourself, go find it in scripture, go think about it, uh, pray about it, sit in silence about it. Um, And, uh, you know, he even told me back when he used to be like a more fire and brimstone kind of preacher. And just that's not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And so through that, um, well, first of all, you know, I did start out in the youth group though. And in the youth group, as we all know, (laughs) you know, it starts out as very, uh, those three Ps that you talk about, you know, (laughs) the power and the patriarchy and the definitely the purity, you know, purity is is the end all be all in youth groups. So Mm -hmm. I, I definitely you know, subscribed to that in youth group, even though that wasn't what the main pastor was saying. Um, In the youth group, I I definitely, you know, got married early uh, to not be having sex before marriage, you know, even though we did, but then we had to get married real quick to, you know, make (laughs) it, rake it right. right. And uh You know, so I definitely did all that. And then once I got divorced in three years, because it was really foolish to run into this marriage in the first place, you know, someone was seven years older, had two kids. I was like 19 when we met. Oh wow! Um, And so I find myself, you know, 23 years old, divorced and um, just feeling like what the heck is wrong with the church? Oh, and not to mention all of my church friends who we had been like best friends since we were 12 years old, half our lives at this point totally ditched me because they think he's in the right. And, um, mm. Mm. and so I go on this journey, like, okay, my Christian friends have ditched me. The church basically encouraged a child to get married in order to be pure. Right. Mm. Mm. And, mm. Right. um, like what the heck's going on? So I run deep into like sex, drugs and rock and roll. I'm like, mm. you know, I, I'm a musician already. So I get into a band, try some drugs, you know, and, <laughs> and have a boyfriend that I'm sleeping with. Like, basically giving two middle fingers to the church, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, so I do that, but there is a point, you know, like, I love that what you guys do, you're, you're not saying to just like go out there and live, um, the words not even coming to me, like hedonistic lifestyles. Mm-hmm. You know? right. I mean, that's not what you're saying. Um, you're just saying like, Hey, maybe we're going too far to the other end of the spectrum. And we're actually, um, hurting people's sexuality by repressing it so far. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I kind of, you know, went off the deep end because I had repressed it for so mm-hmm. darn long. Um, and, and then, you know, got married to try to make it right, all these things. And so a couple of years into my sex drugs and rock and roll, I did start feeling that pull toward God again, mm-hmm. but not like I had experienced before. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. want the judgy. And I also realized like, as I hung out with a bunch of people who did all the things that I thought only like rapists and serial killers did, you know, like like, drugs. Oh my gosh. And I realized like, actually there's some people who just party with a little marijuana or even cocaine and they're like decent people. I'm not like advocating those things. I'm just saying, I realized they weren't what I thought they were. It wasn't Mm. this big, bad wolf that the church had made it out to be right. Like, mm-hmm. and I even realized that like everyone around me, this was before it was legal smoked marijuana. They just didn't tell me about it before because I was so goody two shoes, you know, thought I did everything perfect. I was actually like the perfect Pharisee, to be honest. You know? I thought yeah. I was yeah. so holy and mighty because uh, I got married and made it right. And I did this and I did that. And it was going into the other side of things that as I began to be pulled back to Christ, um, you know, I was, I remember, um, I had read this book called A Heretic's Guide to Eternity and this British pastor that wrote that book, he did church in a bar in Santa Monica. And so I wrote my old pastor and I was like, Hey, you know, I have walked out of more churches than I can count at this point. I think I could probably stomach this guy's church. Cause you know, in a bar, you just can't have the plastered on smiles who hand you a pamphlet and say, Jesus loves you, <laughs> but I don't. You know?
2: right, right. Uh,
0: and uh, honestly, even on my journey back to God, I couldn't say the name Jesus. I had mm. to say Christ because Jesus had become so cliche, you know, like Jesus loves you. What would Jesus do? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like I just, I couldn't even use the word because it had become so gross, you know? And, um, now I can say Jesus and and feel like the truth of the person of Christ. Um, but at, at that point, I couldn't. And um, so, you know, when churches would get into their spiel, and I'm totally actually about tithing. But at that time, it just, whenever it, it felt money grubbing, whenever it felt purity at all costs, you know, puritanicalism, I would just get up and walk out. In fact, mm. there was one time and I, and I, this one, I feel very legit for walking out and slamming my chair. <laughs> There was was one pastor who said, you know, um, Darwin's book was originally called The Evolution of the Species Through the Superior Races. Therefore, Darwin is a racist and we shouldn't believe in evolution. (laughs) I slammed my chair and I'm like, he was talking about the evolution of birds. (laughs) And I walked out of the church. (laughs) Because to me, that's the kind of thing that makes anyone, any follower of Christ, any person who like is even truly following the person of Jesus and, and the the characteristics, the person who sat in that church and repeated that pastor's really ignorant statement makes everybody look stupid. You know, when you start saying Darwin is a racist, and then someone says he was talking about the races of birds, you know that? <laughs> right, right. Um so all that said. I started. I went back to what they called by invitation only. It was called Bio at the time, um, and it was my old pastor, and he had left the church because um, a lot of political things, political things around, you know, allowing homosexuals into the church, pol- and just all this politics that he was done with. Because you know, he's like, where else would you have people go? <laughs> you know, like if they're not mm. going to church, um, and so he had left. I had got divorced. And then he started this little bio when I asked him about the church in the bar because he didn't know where that was. And um, so I went to this group and it was basically just meditation or contemplative prayer. I now know it as um, for about 30 minutes. And then the group just talked about things. And I was able to say all the semi-heretical questions I had on my heart that would have mm. me either kicked out or a stern talking to about the correct boxed answer <laughs> you know, in right. other churches. And in this little house gathering of meditators, I would say something, you know, just totally off the wall for most churches. And they would say, hmm, I've never thought of it from that perspective before.
2: Hmm.
0: And just let me, you know, it, it was clear that I just had a lot of anger really on my heart at the church, the way things were. And, you know, a lot of them were like my parents age and older and they didn't need to give me the answer. They saw I was just seeking what the truth was. And I really believe, and this is something I, I repeat in my book over and over, that those who seek will find. And if we seek truth, we'll find truth. And if we seek to affirm our own beliefs, we'll find that too.
2: Mm-hmm. That's really good.
1: Mm, yeah. A um, question I've had is what 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 do you mean when you use the word soul? Because I think a lot of people have different ideas of that. So for you, what exactly does that word mean? And, and what does it really mean to nourish our souls?
0: Yeah, so I, I get into that quite a bit in the book, kind of, you know, what we've called soul in the past. And I, I kind of narrow in on the idea that we get from Thomas Merton and Richard Rohr talks about it a lot and that's the true self, right? And, um, you know, we've got this ego-driven false self that is, what do you do? How much do you make? What do you drive? You know, or even uh, how pure are you in the church? Mm. And, you know, did you wait until marriage? And we've, we've got this ego-driven self, which is even a lot of the church, sadly, um, perhaps even more so. And then we've got our true self in God, in Christ, the part that you know, whether we believe the Bible as, which most monks that I talk to say, you know, very little of the Bible is actually to be taken literally. It's, it's (laughs) mostly to invoke a feeling and to invoke, you know, new kinds of, um, a new heart towards people. Mm. And, you know, Rohr talks about it all the time that Jesus never got angry at sins of weakness, like purity and things like that. He got angry at sins of the heart, like hatredness and hard heartedness. Mm. And so it's really getting into that true self and that change of the heart, that soul change, perhaps, that is the soul. And so, yeah, to define the soul, I think, would be to lose it. So <laughs> and that's yeah. kind of a roundabout way of, of, just, of describing it to you. But I think as close as we could get would be the true self and finding who we are, stripped of ego, stripped of title, stripped of all these things that we define ourselves as. Um, and then I also, uh, you've read the first portion of the book, you know, I started out with the parable of the four wives where there's like this Tibetan King who has four wives and they represent, you know, the body and the mind are, um, and your money and all these possessions. And the last one's the soul who he's, you know, neglected this whole time. And it's the only one that continues with us. And so just Mm -hmm. as we put titles and, uh, eco driven, purity or power or money or whatever as who we are we that's how we would often define ourselves that soul that true self the only part that continues on the only part that is fine even if all those parts are stripped away um would be your soul or your true self mm-hmm.
2: i like that hey we reference your book uh and it's called sin tastes good Ooh, nourishing okay. your soul in an empty calorie world and it really kind of details your thoughts about how to nourish the soul and how to nourish kind of that the true self, that that person that we were made by God and made in goodness, and yet we've, you know, kind of wrapped in all these egoistic uh driven attachments. But I wanna kinda of talk about the the word and the title, sin, because honestly, for a lot of us who are deconstructing faith. You know, we hear the word sin and we're like, oh gosh, here we go. You know, or the church people are telling me how bad I am. But I don't think that's really what you mean by it. Um, so, can you talk about the word sin and maybe the, the, how the concept has been weaponized to either get us to fall in line or from fear based? And maybe explain just a little more about what you mean by the word sin and why sin tastes good.
0: Sure. So, sin, and I, I say I redefine it, and that doesn't mean I'm giving it a new definition, but simply reminding people what sin means. And it it simply means to miss the mark. And I think the church historically has put all this guilt and shame on top of sinning, where if we take the guilt and shame away, we can say, yeah, I missed the mark. I didn't hit the target that I was aiming for. And we don't have to feel bad about that um and you know we see jesus when especially in sins of weakness um not sins of the heart that you know someone's caught in adultery and he says to everybody okay which one of you hasn't missed the mark ever and mm. and nobody can do it i mean and jesus could throw the th- the stone um and chooses not to and so sin you know if it's just missing the mark i give an example in the book of you know if you've ever been to camp or i did it in like junior high pe where we tried archery. And you know how hard it is to hit the mark the very first time you (laughs) pick up the bow, right? You're like struggling to get the little two forks on the string, (laughs) and then like aim it correctly. And so if you were to guilt and shame that child, like you suck, how could you possibly not hit that mark? What is wrong with you? (laughs) Right, the the child will walk off the field and say, I suck at this and never try again. And that's what we do in Christianity. That's what we do in religion in general. It really doesn't matter if you're talking about Christianity or Islam. Or it. we we shame because it's honor and shame, right? Anyone mm-hmm. who doesn't perfectly hit a mark the first time, especially where, um, and we have like also these arbitrary marks. Not to to mention all those, but <laughs> like you know, instead we could say, okay, the art, the mark you were trying to hit is over here. You veered off to the left. Why don't you just aim slightly more right? And I think you'll get closer to the target. And of course, the more you practice, you're going to get better and better. Good job. You got a little closer this time. Good job. You know, like we encourage children in something to make them better and continue to practice. Yet in religion, we think we should, if we discourage people enough, that they'll be, you know, fearful enough to hopefully follow what we're calling them to follow. And much of which is not even in the Bible, which we discourage them to read and just say, come to the sermon and hear your pastor read about it, and you'll know everything that you should know about the Bible. And that's another thing I just really um drill home in the book. Like, and it's something I was taught, like I said, from my pastor early on, is just go find it for yourself. Like go look up the historical context for yourself. Go look up the scriptures for yourself. And then like sit in silence about it and I also say, like, before you dig into scripture, because for some of us, it can be really traumatic. I know of people who um, have a mental, um, you know, they uh, like are depressed or anxious or w- whatever it is. And they feel like when demons are mentioned in the Bible, that they're talking about their, their depression and, and mm-hmm. they feel mm-hmm. like they're being called demons possessed. And so, you know, I think it's really important to recognize your traumas around the bible and church in general and when you're seeking answers to like go in prayerfully and just ask that only god's truth is shown to you and that your old traumas and misinterpretations maybe even given to you by pastors are thrown away because i've done the same thing i mean honestly when you know i said went into sex drugs and rock and roll for a while and i remember when i first started getting back to the bible i always felt like the adulterous woman. I was Mm. always the one that was luring men into being tempted forever and ever and down to (laughs) shale, you know, like, Mm. um, that's how I saw myself in the scriptures. And so, you know, I wish at that, at that point, I didn't have many mentors around me or anything. And I wish I kind of had someone to tell me like, but it's not there to shame you and condemn you. You know, that's not who you are unless you choose to be. Um, so don't feel condemned when you read this that you are the adulterous woman because you're not. God has, you know, we get to be Christ's reflection because, you know, and there's there's a lot of simplifying of that in the church. But, you know, it's it's all to give us life more abundantly, not less. And I feel like so much of the church and so much of sin and religion and how we define sin and and doing good works is to give us less life where God you know Jesus says he came to give us life and give it to us in abundance um you know that's the fullness of life and that so roundabout to what is sin it's just missing the mark and mm-hmm. yeah if we can just learn from our missing the mark like i miss the mark financially for instance huh? Like I should have bought a house in Austin when I had the chance and I did several years ago. (laughs) And I've learned from that. Like it's turned into a boom town, you know, like, uh, or I learned about Bitcoin like back in 2016, 2017, I could have been more curious, you know, and just Mm. found out a little bit more. So instead of shaming myself and being like, I'm such an idiot, I didn't buy a house in Austin and I didn't buy Bitcoin. I could say, Hmm, next time I have an inkling that something might be profitable. I'm going to do a little more research into that and figure out if I'd like to throw a few dollars into that. Cause back at the time I could have thrown, you know, 5,000 without any problem with my income at the time, I'd be a billionaire now, you know? So this is just in (laughs) dollars and cents, you know, but instead of beating myself up about it, which we tend to do in the church, I could just learn from it and say, next time I see something that looks interesting and profitable, I'll do a little more research. Hmm. And so that's, that's the difference between like shame and guilt and just, I didn't hit this mark. I'm going to. Correct my aim. I'm going to learn from Mm. my mistakes. Mm -hmm.
1: A lot of that sounds like um, growth mindset from Dr. Carol Dwight, I think is her name. It's been a while since I read her book. I don't know if you've heard of that, but she talks a lot about how we're all raised with the opposite of a growth mindset. And I can't even remember what the opposite of a growth mindset is, but like it's just that you have to be perfect from the beginning. And growth mindset is just how do I learn from this? And we don't like see failure as like, the end of the world and a reflection on our character you know Mm. we just see it as like I made a mistake absolutely Um, and
0: I think uh, just to your point right there I think in the church we tend to just go to such extremes you know in everything mm. um that one being one of it but I talk about you know I know you've mentioned prosperity gospel in your podcast before and I think sometimes Um, you know, you've got the prosperity gospel churches, but then sometimes you have depravity gospel churches as well, you know, Mm. teaching that you've got to be poor and, and, and and like, instead of go help the poor, go use the prosperity you do have to, you know, lift up the broken and the fallen, Um, you know, so I think, you know, in the church, we just get so extreme. And there's one answer that isn't, for everyone. And, Mm -hmm. but we make it so in the church Mm -hmm. oftentimes.
1: Yeah. One other thing you talk about in your book was, um, a time that time in your life that you already mentioned where you Mm -hmm. were like over religion, especially the religion you had grown up in, but you weren't sure how to move forward. Mm -hmm. And you wrote in there, quote, I slowly felt drawn back into God, but not quite like before after walking out of more churches than I could count, unable to handle what's all seemed so fake, so contrived, and so money grubbing, something still seemed to be missing the same something that I had been missing in my former Christian life. I wanted to know Jesus again, but I knew there was more to it than I had previously known, and I wanted to discover what that was in quote so i'm i I'm curious like what happened next? Did you end up discovering that, and how did you discover it? Where did you discover it? what was what happened next in your story
0: yes, yeah, so. Yes, and no, would be the answer to that question. a, a little bit of both of them that that group that I mentioned was so instrumental in allowing me space to really seek. um, and I think you know, I mentioned that I do keep falling back on that verse those who seek will find, you know, whether that's truth or um our own beliefs. But it gave me that time to seek, and I feel like we don't give that in the church, you know, and mm-hmm. so. I have found this, um, and and so I've actually been really, really fortunate to travel around the world most of my life, and and even especially in the last decade, um, I even lived uh, in several countries and traveled all around the world, and so I got to go to a lot of different churches, and I have to say, I've only really found this true give people space to seek Christ in Three churches, one in uh, the one that I was at in Southern California, the other in Flystaff, Arizona, and another in Geneva, Switzerland. Mm. But the rest, uh, for the most part, and, and it's sad, and I haven't been to every church in the world, so sorry if, if yours is, is a good one. Oh, actually, no, one in Reno, Nevada, uh, just mm. recently, just the other day. I went to this church and it was, uh, you know, they were talking about how Reno, Nevada used to be the second least churched um, city in the nation. And now it's still in the top 10, but it's moved down. And I told the pastor, I said, you know, normally that wouldn't bother me because I do think that there's plenty of places that are very churched and actually moving the kingdom of God backward because Mm. the church is the ones that people are like, if that's what it looks like to be a Christian, I want nothing to do with it. Mm. Um, But this particular church I went to in Reno, actually just this Sunday, um, is another one that's really all about like, let's show each, let's show where Christ children by the way we love each other not the way we judge each other not the way we're perfect um but by being loving and and seeking him by loving one another and loving god mm. um so yes i found it in many ways personally and i want to mention and i say this in the book you know I, I joke with a dot 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 that you know i discovered contemplative prayer and mysticism and time with christ that was more real than me touching the computer in front of me right now. And it was always like that forever. And it just got better and better. (laughs) And I'm like, just kidding, because that's not, that's not reality. That's not life. That's not um, anything in this world. It doesn't just, you know, you think about the stock market, like sure it constantly goes up over time, but there's dips in there, you know, and there can be like Mm -hmm. long dips. And I think we need to look at nature, look at life, look at business and know that that this is the way of things. And our relationship with God is gonna be like the ocean waves. Like they're gonna it's gonna go in and it's gonna go out. He's gonna feel, feel, not be, distant. It's gonna feel close. And I think in like this Christianity ink world that we have contrived, and you know, we spoke a little bit about certain conferences that are created to create emotions to make you feel a certain thing. Mm-hmm that you know if we're not having this spiritual high of a conference that makes you cry and makes you jump up and down that we're not close to god um but that's just simply not true you know even mother teresa talks about having dark nights of the soul that lasted years where she didn't feel that god was close at all mm. um and so i think we i i can say like oh sure i found it but in the same breath i want to very much say that like We find God in one way and then he wants to reveal like a newness of himself to us. Mm -hmm. And it will seem when we're seeking the one way we found God, like if the only way we've ever found God was in like the worship services where they tell you to stand up and tell you to jump around and then they tell you to cry, you know, (laughs) like um, if that's the only way we've ever found God and then he wants us to seek us in a new, seek him in a new way, we may not feel him. In the jumping around, you know, right.
2: Yep. yeah, and well, so
0: yeah, uh
2: huh. No, I was just, I love what you said there about the kind of the organic nature of spirituality, mm-hmm. that it's not just all moving up and to the right um, yeah. at the, all the time. It's also not necessarily um, staying in the darkness that in. in for the most part, it's probably both happening at the same time. You know, I mean, I think about the season that we're going through right now in in the Northern Hemisphere, where obviously the light is winning, the days are getting longer, the days are getting warmer, and yet, at least here in Colorado Springs, it's going to snow tomorrow, you know, (laughs) and so you have this balance and this tension of Feeling God's presence, or or feeling like you are on a road towards spiritual transformation, at the same time you're also probably going to be dealing with with times of darkness and disillusionment and deconstruction, and it's probably incredibly incredibly normal for all of us to just simply accept that as as a normative uh, expression of of Christianity. And I want to I want to kind of dovetail on that and ask you a question. Um, You know, we talked about sin and that word being a little bit triggering for us. Well, if, if sin is triggering, then the, the big C word, church, is probably even more triggering, whether it be from past trauma or from abuse or from just feeling like you're on the outside of church looking in. So um, you, you talk a lot about, you know, this whole notion of being uh, spiritually nourished. Well, what if that nourishment can't be found in church? What Mm. if you don't trust the church to be the source of that nourishment? Um, Is it still possible to nourish your soul outside of institutional Christianity and outside of the church?
0: You know, I would almost argue that it would be hard to only nourish your soul with inside, especially institutionalized church. Mm. Um, You know, that definitely works for some, and it's, we talked about that kind of post-traumatic church syndrome for others. And, um, in my book, I talk, I talk about, um, you know, we have privilege walks, uh, where if you've ever seen a privilege walk, they put them on a, like a football stadium and have everybody at the field goal line. And you'd say, you know, if you've never skipped a meal, uh, unintentionally, basically just because you couldn't afford it, step forward. And if you, and they'd say all these things that basically, if you were privileged, you could step forward. Mm -hmm. And after, you know, 20 questions or so, some of these kids are halfway down the field and others are still at the starting line. And then they say, all right, race to the end. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we get that when it comes to, well, some people do to privilege as far as economic privilege and, you know, racial privilege and these kind of things, but there's also a spiritual privilege, you know, um, those who haven't been traumatized by the church, those who, you know, um, were allowed to question and doubt and raise these concerns early on, those who weren't um, brought up in, in fear of of spirituality and, and sexuality and all, all these kinds of things. Um, I'd say those are the fewer in the church, um, mm. you know, and then we've got people who... Just buy in hook line and sinker to all the <laughs> you have tos fear driven um dogma, and so I'd honestly say it would be it's a, a very challenging to only get your spiritual nourishment from the church if even possible um it really has to be something that you seek uh mm. it has to be something that you know one of the things that I think is so important is quiet time and You know, if you want to say with God, uh, quiet time with God, I I think about Christ himself. If we look at the scriptures, constantly the disciples are saying, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And he's off on his own with God, you know, Mm -hmm. um, up to 40 days at a time. And I think if, if Christ himself couldn't walk this earth without spending a good amount of time just in silence with creator God, how in the world do we think that? keeping these busy lives with these busy schedules and never stopping to think about anything that we could nourish our soul. It's, it's kind of like, you know, um, you know, these ultra marathon runners, they like eat Snickers bars as they're running and stuff like that. Mm. (laughs) You know, like you can't do that forever. You can do it for one ultra marathon, but you have to like sit down and Mm. eat a meal. And that takes, some stillness. And I I think that that's what we lack as a culture when we're in this culture of hustle, hustle at all costs. And the only thing that matters is that you're busy and you're producing and you're, you know, all these badges that we give by doing what you're supposed to in society. We don't take the time to slow down because that is not praised in our society. And that is the way to nourish the soul is to stop, to ask questions, to give God, your doubts, your, you know, like, honestly, I encourage people, if you're like, I don't believe in you, God, and I'm just telling you, you know, like, that's okay, like, but we're not encouraged to, there's actually a scripture, I can't quote it, and I was reading it recently about, like, basically giving God all our bad crap Mm. as an offering, you know, and we are not taught, we're taught to give him our praise and to give him our you know, all the glory and yada, yada, right. but we're not taught to give him our doubts, to give him our concerns, to give him our anxieties, to give him all the bad crap that we hold on to because we're not taught to give him that as an offering, um, for him to give us the peace, you know? And so, uh, to your question, Gary Allen, no, I, I, I don't even think it's healthy to get your spiritual nutrition from only from the church.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I guess what I'm curious about as as I'm hearing you respond is like, it sounds like so much of what we were taught would be our spiritual nourishment honestly has fallen short for a lot of us. We've, we've right. started saying, you know, I don't feel like I'm getting much nutrition from attending a church service and raising my hands when I'm told to and listening <laughs> to a sermon that's exactly... 35 minutes long, not a second longer um, and hearing a special song and then going home and having a Bible study every morning where I just read the same things over, you know, like it's, it's the stuff that like we're, we're, I think so many of us are just going, if this isn't it, then what else is there? And I, I, as someone who was raised in that evangelical world, don't even know where to look Um, for different types of spiritual nourishment. So, or even what other kinds of practices there are. So if you had to recommend just one practice to someone who hasn't given up the idea of God or or the divine, but who does struggle with the idea of prayer or reading the Bible or attending church or even listening to church online because of coronavirus, like what what would one practice be that you would recommend? Sure. And I want to preface this by like, it
0: also doesn't mean for those who want to, that they would need to give up church if that's their thing. Like I, I actually got to go to church, oh, Sure. For, you know, one of the first times since this whole lockdown, uh, this particular church was open and I got to, and I'm a singer and I do like to sing, uh, and stand up and all that stuff. And I, it like really fed my soul. I was like mm. in tears of joy. So I, I want, I want to preface it, but by saying like, that doesn't mean we have to throw out all things we once did. Mm. Um, but i i do think especially you know just in my experience what has been helpful is that silence that i was mentioning um and and i also want to say like silence is really hard if you've never practiced it since being on time out as a kid um so <laughs> like don't beat yourself up or like try to be some monk right away i i would recommend going somewhere quiet anywhere from inside a closet to out in nature, on a rock. Um, Sometimes I'm in Los Angeles, so, like, nature's really hard to find. Um, Mm. And sometimes I'm out in Flagstaff and nature's really easy to find. So nature's preferable, but anywhere that you can be alone and undistracted and quiet. And I encourage people to bring a journal because, for a couple reasons, Um, one, a bunch of minutiae is going to come out. Like oh my gosh I need to call so and so I need to pick this up at the store and all those all that's going to come up. (laughs) That's what I do. Yeah, if you just try to, yeah, yeah. And if you just try to push it aside and be like I'm not going to think about that, I'm not going to. You're like, but I don't want to forget. So just write it down. You know, like write down I need to go pick up eggs or whatever it is. You know, Uh, write down I need to call so and so. Um, And then I really encourage to. Ask God, and if you don't use the word God, that's totally fine. I don't think he's offended. Um, In fact, I feel like if we look at scripture, that God didn't want to be called some stupid name that he got put in a box. um, And he kept like urging people not to call him stuff. But anyway, that's a whole different tangent. So if you want to call it God, fine. If you want to call it universe, I think he hears us. She hears us. Um, And then I ask, like, only let your divine intelligence come into this time. Like, don't let it be stuff I've heard out in the world or, you know, ideas that society has put in my head. Like, allow this to be that divine intelligence that I can only hear when I slow down. And so that just helps because what happens a lot of times when creativity, or um, I believe, you know, if we think about a God of cre- creation, that he's created us to be creative beings. And so that creativity comes up in these silent times. And When we haven't kind of believed that God will keep, you know, just our societal norms and all that from coming into our heads, something will pop up, maybe an idea, maybe something to go do, maybe a new thing to think, Uh, maybe something new about ourselves that's Mm -hmm. actually kind and loving and and maybe like something about worthiness. And we'll brush Mm -hmm. it aside because we will think, no, that's not God. That's just my own thoughts. Um, and so that's why I I recommend, you know, like kind of just preface it with like, God, keep my own thoughts out, keep thoughts from society out so that whatever does come up, you can trust. Mm -hmm. Um, and just enjoy those times of silence, enjoy some nature if you, and if it only lasts for two minutes, it's okay. Come back Mm -hmm. and do it another two minutes, another day. But it's when we get still and quiet that, uh, even if you're not religious, when you get still and quiet, creative ideas come up. That's just what happens. Like that's how we're created to be. Um, and and if you do, if you are still pursuing God and Christ, like this is where healing can come up. This is where um, new thoughts and um, just a, a different kind of journey can begin.
2: Hmm. I love your message because I think it points to the fact that most of us have grown up on fast food religion Mm-hmm. And we have just been eating at McDonald's for most of our spiritual lives. And you know, Ruth's Chris steakhouse is just over there, And we've never been told we could go in there. And so we've we've lived in a very emotionally manipulative, surface level, anti-intellectual, kind of disembodied um, faith that really hasn't given us the the meat to To truly nourish our soul, and mm-hmm. I think those practices you just referenced are are really critical, especially for some of us who have never even tried to have a direct experience with God. Um, to mm-hmm. never even tried to sit down and be still and just invite. conversation and I was actually talking about this with my spiritual mentor last week and I was telling him like you know what my mind just continues to go like when Mm -hmm. I try to meditate I I can't stop and so what is one practice or one simple thing that I can do to just begin the process of of being still being silent and and you know hoping one day to even get to a place of contemplation and meditation. And I loved what he told me. He said, you know what, your mind is like a a, a toy top or a, a mm-hmm. spinning top. It's it, it wants to continue moving. It wants to continue spinning. Just let it. Let it mm-hmm. sit over there. Let wind it up and go, okay, go have your fun, little mind. But I'm gonna focus uh primarily just on my breath and mm-hmm. just breathing and feeling the air come all the way into my body and then releasing it. And you mentioned the name of God. And I think it's Richard Rohr who says this, who says the the very word Yahweh is mm-hmm. a simple breath. It's the breath in Yahweh, yeah. Yahweh. And that's one meditative practice that I have tried to to really establish in my life is like okay when I don't know how to pray, when I don't know how to experience God, I'm going to pray Yahweh, breathe in the breath of God in the name of God, and and breathe God out. And I don't know for our listeners if you've never tried that, that might be a a great place to start as well, um, in in just experiencing and and practicing these these spiritual practices. So before we let you go, I want to I do want to ask you uh, one more question because. This has given me hope. Um, And I want to ask you when you look at the future of faith, when you look at the future of Christianity, what gives you hope for the future?
0: Um, Again, like this that people are Hmm. questioning what we've learned, that people are taking an active role in their faith rather than being spoon fed. you know, I, I heard Melanie say in another podcast that you guys had. So encourage everyone go back and listen to all those podcasts. They're really good. Um, <laughs> that she said it's all about representing God's love to other people. Um, and she was if she was talking about like not hoarding religion for ourselves. And and that's what we see throughout the scriptures is, you know, God saying, Hey, be an example of love. And that's what Melanie was referring to in, in what I quoted, you know, that wow, these people are so loving and they're so kind and generous. Um and instead of throughout history, you know, instead of doing that and being an example and inviting people into God's kingdom, everyone from the early Jews till now has said, we're gonna hoard this for ourselves and we're in and you're out, you know. Um <laughs> and so this awakening that people are just kind of saying, Hey, this is what's going on, we are doing the same thing that they've done throughout scripture. And saying, we're in you're out, we're doing the right thing, you're doing the wrong thing. We have a monopoly on religion um and heaven the the fact that people are asking those questions without doing what also is historically common, just fully going to what I did, like the whole six drugs and rock and roll, let's like give two middle fingers to the church um there there's a hey, we still want this, but we want." true purity we want a more pure version of faith not not connected to sex or anything like this but we want to come in a spirit of love we want to question the patriarchy the power the you know false purities that we put out there and I think that people allowing spirituality and religion to be messy
1: and complicated gives me a lot of hope
2: Mm. oh man I love that Mm
1: -hmm. All right. So we're not actually done. We actually have some fun, just quick questions that we want to ask you. And you just respond with the first thing that comes to mind. Does that sound good? Sure. <laughs> They're fun. Don't <laughs> worry. Um, all right. First question is, who would you say has had the biggest impact on your faith and how you view the divine?
0: Uh, Chuck Smith Jr. Not to be confused with Chuck Smith Sr.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right. What's your favorite thing to do in your spare time?
0: Oh, wow. A lot of things, but it depends. That's hard. So, if I'm like in a total chill mood, even, just even that silence, I really like being in silence and like grounding, earthing, and things like that. And then, if I'm not in a chill mood, kayaking or surfing or mm. wakeboarding or something really athletic.
2: Mm, I like that.
1: <laughs> sounds like sounds like water sports too. Yeah, definitely water <laughs> sports. Um, I know that you have spent time at multiple monasteries being silent. So, mm-hmm. what is the longest time you've gone without speaking?
0: Well, so in those monasteries, you do get to go to like uh, the little services if you want. And you could sing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I've done like like six or seven days there where I'm not like actually speaking to anyone. I might sing. Mm. actual silence like just not speaking probably
1: like two days i feel like that would be very tough <laughs> yeah
2: yeah exactly i don't know i'm an introvert like i, I think i could dig it I, I could i could be a monk on certain levels um all right so you mentioned you've been all over the world uh what's one of your favorite places you've ever been to and why
0: so i get asked this question a lot and. Um, It might sound cheesy, but it's really the people that I have in the different places because, um, you know, sometimes we could be in, like, somewhere super cool like Singapore and, you know, seeing um, the uh, – they have these, like, big tree gardens that are actually, like, buildings and they light up and they're really cool. But when you don't have your people there, it's not that cool. So, like, (laughs) my actual places that I, I have people that I really love are, like, Monaco in south of France, um, the western side of the United States, and Chile uh, down in South America. And it's really because of the communities of people I have in those places that just, and the places are cool too, but you know, it's all about who you're with that makes life exciting. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, my husband and I actually have a debate about that because <laughs> I'm, I'm very much like, I don't want to go travel by myself. That sounds really boring. And he's like, oh, I'd love to travel by myself because then nobody has nobody can tell me like, oh, we got to do this or we have to do it at that time or whatever. I can just do it on my own schedule. And I'm like, but then there's no people. <laughs> so it's just definitely like a, to each their own, I guess, because I would be like you. I'd be like, I don't want to go there if I'm by myself. Um,
0: also, oh, yeah, I still go and I still have fun. Um, and I totally agree with your husband on the fact of like, I love having my own schedule too. But it's just that option of being in a place where, like, if I want to go be with people on Tuesday evening, mm. I can choose that. But then when mm. I'm somewhere that, like, I don't know anyone, um, I can't choose that. There's no choice.
1: Mm. That's, that's a good point. All right. Last question. Mm-hmm. On your website, you mentioned that you have actually legally changed your name. Uh-huh. Uh, you changed it to Raina a while back. I'm curious, was it hard to switch to answering to a whole new name and do your family still call you by your first name, the, your the original birth name? <laughs> <laughs> um, it wasn't hard to start
0: answering to Reina. In fact, I, so I had been singing. I like did some semi-professional singing in like demos in Toronto and stuff years ago under Reina. And I had been writing under Reina for even longer. So like people in the music world had called me Reina for a while. Mm. Um, but then when I, I started publishing books and going by Reina, I just, in the music world, you go by your stage name, but I just, I felt like I was lying. So um, <laughs> I also had a an experience where I was working under like some pretty misogynistic people who were being like, particularly one that was being very abusive and I wasn't standing up about mm-hmm. it. And when I decided to make the legal change, I said, you know what, Melissa played small and didn't want to make waves and didn't speak up because she didn't want to lose her job. But Reina stands up for justice, even in the face of loss. Mm. And if I can't stand up for justice in the face of losing a job, how will I stand up for justice in the face of nations or whatever I may be called to in the future. And so it really mm. was like putting a line in the sand that I'm going to change this legally. And that's why I've told you, like th- there's been guests on my, that I've brought on the show intentionally. And I've thought I might lose my show for this but mm. this is the right thing to have on, mm. you know? And so, um, yeah, one, it was cute. My dad, when uh, I first changed it, he called up when it's spelled R E I N A. And so he called up and he's like, Hey, Rihanna. <laughs> <You know? No. laughs> and he was trying, you know? And so he still sometimes calls me Lis, which is like a shortened version of Melissa. Mm. Um, my grandma has a hard time changing. My mom tries to change too. Like, everybody's like put in the effort and been supportive. And, you know, I even, um, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, he endorsed my book and, you know, he, he talked to me about like the significance of changing the name in, in the Jewish culture, like how important mm. that is. And so, you know, it's for the most part been really encouraging. So I did have one person say like, why'd you change your name? Or you have something to hide or you're in the mafia? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for the most part, it's been encouraging.
2: That's interesting. That's awesome. You know, my wife is potentially going to be changing her name. She's a part of a monastic vowed community, and, and when she goes through all of the vows over several years, there's an opportunity for her to be given a new name, which is, you know, pretty common in, mm-hmm. in the monastic tradition. but wow, that's the one thing that has been really troubling for myself and for our kids. Like, wait, mama's going to get a new name? (laughs) (laughs) What's it going to be? Like, we've only known her as this. So I love that. It's a fascinating Mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. Hey, this is, uh, Raina, this has been incredible. And uh, thank you so much for, again, your message and your book and your show. Um, for anyone who's interested in learning more, where can they find out more about you and your book and and of course your television show?
0: Yes. So you can find out a lot on reina-rose.com. Again, that's R-E-I-N-A-rose.com. I'm pretty active on Instagram. I try to get on there, maybe read book expert excerpts. Um, All my social medias are Reina Rose TV now. So pretty easy to find. My YouTube is that. I even lead um, on my YouTube. There's like some how to get into contemplative prayer and I kind of like lead people into it and stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, a lot can be found again, anywhere on socials, uh, Raina Rose TV or Raina Rose.com. Um, and I love when people contact me, you know, if you have questions about what you heard today or contemplative prayer or just, you know, the church as a whole, uh, reach out. I love having these conversations. That's oh, awesome. and My book can be found on Amazon. Sorry. It's uh um, oh. sin tastes good. Uh, and if you just put in sin tastes good, Raina Rose, it'll pop up. Um, it's on Amazon. You can buy the hard copy or the Kindle. And also if you have Kindle unlimited, it is free right now as of right now.
1: Ooh, that's awesome. Sure. I'll make sure to put all the links to everything in the show notes as well. So people can find you in one spot there too. Excellent. So thank you so much, Raina. This has been really great and we have loved having you.
0: It has been a pleasure. You guys are doing such great work and creating a platform for people to have a safe space to talk about these things. I really
1: um, admire what you guys are doing. Oh, thank you. Her book is called Sin Tastes Good, Nourishing Your Soul in an Empty Calorie World, and you can find it wherever books are sold. I've also linked to it in the show notes, which are found at holyheretics.org. Have you reserved your spot in our upcoming live course yet? It's called Making Sense of the Bible, Post deconstruction, and it's all about how we, as non-scholars and non-theologians, can make sense of a Bible if we no longer believe it's an errant and completely authoritative and a rule book. Uh, so make sure to reserve your spot soon because spots are filling up quickly. It is a live course with room for questions and dialogue, so we've capped the number of people who can attend. Uh, to reserve your spot. Just head to holyheretics.org, click on support on Patreon, and then sign up to become a supporter of the show of any amount, and we will save your spot in the course as long as there's still space available. So also, if you become a Patreon supporter, you will get access to every episode five days before it releases. So once again, that URL is holyheretics.org, and click on support on Patreon. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society. Music is by Faith and Foxholes and sound engineering is by Joshua Mudge.